amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're picking up James 1. We saw that we're to consider it all joy whenever we encounter various trials because we know that the trials are testing our faith and that testing produces endurance. Verse 4, he says, So let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if any of us lack wisdom, not that we ever lack wisdom, right? We always know what to do. But wisdom is just, Knowing what to do, the application of knowledge. We might know something, but we don't know what to do. And so if we lack wisdom, we don't know what to do in any area of our lives, the Bible teaches us, ask God. And God will give it to us generously. And he'll give it to us without reproach. Reproach is when someone, you ask them something and then they belittle you for asking. They make you feel stupid or, oh, what are you, dumb? You don't know the answer. If you ask God for any wisdom what to do, or you have a question for God, God doesn't go, get away from me, you're bothering me. He says, come to me, and I will give you the answer. He promises he will give us that answer of what to do, and he gives it generously, freely, without reproach. He never says, oh, what, you again? Oh, you're so stupid. You keep coming back asking me. Oh, every day you got another question. He never does that. You could come back to the Lord every day, day after day, multiple times a day, and the Lord will never tire of you coming to him and asking him for wisdom. But he tells you to do it. Now in verse six, he qualifies it and he gives a really neat answer. He says, but he must ask in faith without doubting, any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when you go to ask the Lord, you have to ask him in faith without doubting. This is one of those things that for me, it brought up even more questions when I read this, because wait a minute, I feel like that man, he brought his son to the Lord Jesus and said, my son has this problem. Can you heal him? And Jesus said, can I? What do you think? And Jesus knew he could heal him. But the guy, he goes, look, I want to believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't fault him for that. Jesus went ahead and healed the boy. And so we see the Lord showing us the character of God. He's there to help us in these circumstances. But sometimes I feel like that man. I don't know, Lord. I, I want to believe, but I don't know. Help my unbelief. And when I read the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, there's this beautiful chapter in Bible school. They call it the Hall of Faith the record of all these things that men accomplished by faith in the Old Testament, these highlights, not an exhaustive list by any means. And every time we study these kinds of acts of faith that men have done before us, it's really good for our faith. It gives those testimonies of faith that help our faith get strengthened. And so ask anything, but don't doubt. Ask in faith. Hebrews 11, one says, faith is an assurance of things hoped for, and a conviction of things not seen. By this faith, men of old gained approval. And by faith, we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God, 
so that what is seen was made out of things which are not seen. And also we understand Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. And God testified about his gifts through faith, though he is dead, yet he still speaks. The very example that Cain and Abel, Abel giving the sacrifice that pleased God and Cain, Cain didn't want to give the sacrifice that pleased God. Abel, Habel in Hebrew, Ha is breath and Bel is house, the house of breath or house of a meadow, we call it, where the breath on the hill blows and you see the strands of grass being moved gently by that breath of wind. In Hebrew, the word Habel or Abel came to mean a meadow. But I always can remember what Abel was into because in the meadow is where you would take the sheep to graze on the grass. The good shepherd leads the sheep to the good pasture. And so Abel gave a lamb as his offering to the Lord. Now Cain, he was a tiller of the ground, a farmer. And so he brought a basket of fruit to the Lord. Here's my fruit that I give to you, God. I grew this for you. God said, that's not what I required. Now, from the very beginning, Abel's sacrifice was accepted, the lamb, but the fruit wasn't. Why? Because his testimony still speaks to this day. God already let him know from the beginning that there would have to be a lamb that would be slain for sin. When you want to give a sacrifice for your wrongdoings, it has to be paid with the blood of a lamb. And that's why it's so important when we see Jesus in the New Testament, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He fulfills one of the oldest stories in the Bible, a shadow of the forecoming of the Messiah. And so then it goes on and tells us more heroes of the faith in the Hall of Faith or Hall of Fame, or you want to call it in biblical terms. In verse 5 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. He pleased God and was no more there in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. He pleased God. He obtained the witness that before his being taken up, that he was indeed pleasing to God. Without faith, verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, it goes on, tells us about Noah, how Noah by faith was warned by God, even though they didn't even know the idea that the world could be flooded entirely and the whole world would be put under water seemed absurd because it hadn't rained yet to that point. It says the earth was watered by the mist that rose up from the ground and the mist that came down from the heaven pre-flood. There wasn't a description of rain like we have today. It sounded more like a big greenhouse effect around the whole globe. And that's the only thing that actually explains the mammoths, the woolly mammoths with all the green vegetation frozen in their mouth up at the poles. Pre-flood, the whole earth might have just been one big greenhouse until the Lord pulled the chain and let all of that mist in the sky come down and flood the whole earth. In fact, Josh McDowell, one of his master's students, did a study on that. If you ever want to read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, he had one of his students calculate how much water would be required to flood to the highest mounts of the earth today. And then take how much water we have in the oceans today and formulate the difference between that and then take that water and put it into molecules of vapor in the air 
And what would happen if you pushed it up to the high part of our atmosphere? And literally, they said it would create this beautiful blanket of mist around the whole Earth and create a greenhouse effect that would keep the whole Earth in kind of an even temperature all the way around on all the continents. In school, they never even speculated how did they ever get the woolly mammoth with the vegetation in its mouth at the poles. But the scripture actually gives us an indicator what could have come down when it was in the days of Noah and the Lord caused the whole earth to be drowned by water from the rain. Forty days and forty nights it says it rained. To rain that long on the entire earth, that's how long it would take to dump that much water from the sky. And so it's really interesting. But it says Noah, by faith, about things not yet seen. He hadn't actually seen rain come down like this. But in reverence to God, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world. And he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Do you guys remember how long it took Noah to build the ark with his sons? A hundred years. 100 years. Now, some guys say, well, how could they live that long? But if you study the Bible, all the guys that lived before the flood, they had these really long lifespans. And when I say long, I mean 600, 800 years. There was Methuselah Knight, what is it, 969 years, the oldest guy in the Bible recorded. These guys, they live a long time before the flood. But it tells me, what if there was that water blanket around the whole earth and it would lighten, but it wouldn't let solar radiation, like you'd never get a sunburn. You just see the light of the sun in the sky. It'd be like being in a greenhouse. You see the light behind the tinted glass. You'd have light to grow the plants, but you wouldn't get burnt. If we didn't have solar radiation's effects on our skin, how much skin cancer would you have? None. I mean, you wouldn't have any way of getting skin cancer. You wouldn't have stuff getting damaged from the sun's solar radiation. So those guys, no trouble that they live that long to me. In fact, if you study the Bible, you find out the days of men's length of years ends after the flood. It starts becoming shorter and shorter and shorter, down to 120 years of the longest guys living after the flood. Well, this is by faith. It took faith on Noah's part because he revered God. God said, prepare an ark to save your family, to save the animals of this earth. And he went, okay. Now, it's hard for us sometimes to put faith in things we can't see or that we're not sure about. James is saying, without this faith, when you ask God for something, he says you've got to ask in faith, not doubting. Or else if you doubt, you're not going to get to where you need to go. Well, James, James brings this home to me in a way that's really powerful because he's saying, look, you can ask God about anything. You lack wisdom, ask and when you ask, ask him in faith, but ask him without doubting. Let me turn back to Hebrews 11. If you ask him, verse 6 says, without this faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, verse 6 says, must believe that God is. You got to believe God is who he is. And you got to believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. If you seek the Lord. Do you believe that he's going to reward you? Today, I don't think kids are being taught that God is truly who he says he is. He's our creator. And if you seek him, he'll reward you for seeking. There's great reward. What did Jesus teach the disciples? Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And how many things will be added to you? All things, right? Matthew 6, 33, all things will be added to you if you seek God first, his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, you seek to be right, not of your own righteousness, not man's righteousness, but his righteousness, which is God's righteousness was given to us through his son, Jesus, and the work that he completed on the cross. So when you seek his righteousness, you're not seeking to be self-righteous. You're seeking to be righteous on the work Jesus accomplished for you. He paid for all our sins. And because of that, I'm right with God. Righteousness means I'm in right standing with God. And so to be in right standing with God because of what he accomplished for me, he provided himself a lamb, as it says when he wrote about Abraham offering up his son Isaac there in Genesis. He offered up his son, he said, and Jehovah Jireh, after he had already been tested the test of his son. In fact, by the way, even Abraham will make it to this hall of faith in Hebrews 11, and his testimony of the offering of his son would be a type of what God was going to do in offering up his son as the sacrifice. So when we believe that God is there, we also need to believe he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When we say, I'm seeking you, Lord, I'm seeking your kingdom, I'm seeking your righteousness, I want to be right according to what you did for me through your son, Jesus. And you seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness first. He says all things that you need will be added to you. But if you doubt, you're like surf. It's driven back and forth, tossed around by the wind, and you ought not to even expect you're going to receive anything from the Lord. Because he's saying you're double-minded in all your ways. Your mind is not fully single-minded on God. You're going, I believe you, God, on some things, but I don't trust you on other things. Now, I got a good example that when I was a young man, I was confused. What's this? assurance of things hoped for, but a conviction of things not seen. Can you explain that? I asked him that. Can you explain that Hebrews 11, 1 to me? And he said, he said, well, I can give you an example. And he used the example of a man from the 1800s. This man, John Francois Gravelette, he was a Frenchman that was like a showman. He was born in 1824, and he actually lived till 1897. And the name he's known by in the public is Charles Blondin. As this famous tightrope walker, I mean, he did feats all over the world of walking these tightropes. But he came to America and he walks across the tightrope and he went to Niagara Falls in the 1859 was the first time he did it. It's crazy. I mean, 1,100 feet across, it's a long ways. First of all, they started kind of mocking that he would even do it. And then the press got a hold of it. So they started printing articles that he was going to do it. And then somehow the New York Times or whatever at that time wrote stories about it. And people actually took buses on the day he was going to do it. So they stretched the rope and he got up and he was a showman, man. That guy got up there and he made a big spectacle of it. He went across like halfway and he stops in the middle and he stands on one leg for a while. And then he sits down. But the rope is sagging 60 feet down. So once he gets across halfway, he's now got to walk uphill on the rope. And so he goes up it, 
and he gets up there and he kind of makes a big show of it. And it took him 17 minutes. People were just gasping, holding their breath because it took so long for him to cross all the way across the thing. So he gets to the other side and he waves to the crowd and then he just scooches right back across, like zips across it like it's nothing in quarter of the time. Then he did it again in 1860, but he upped his game. He did it blindfolded. He did it on stilts. He did it with a man hanging on his back with his arms around the shoulders over the top of his neck and walked across with the stick and had a guy and brought him across. And there was a YouTube that talks about what he did. He took a wheelbarrow and he took, you know how it has the tire, the rubber tire? He took the rubber tire off the wheelbarrow. So it had that little U shape, the circle of the metal, the rim, how the tire fits in it, that hollow little circle. He put the wheel on the rope in front of him. And they had a huge crowd. Who thinks I can take this wheelbarrow across to the other side? People cheering. And he wheels it across. And then he says, those guys over there need some. He comes back. Those guys over there need some concrete. They're working on a project over there. Who thinks I can bring some bags of concrete in this wheelbarrow across? You know, yeah, you go, you know, go, Blondine, go. And he takes the wheelbarrow, puts all the stuff the guys need on the other side. Wheels them across, brings it to the guys, comes back, does it again, goes back. And then the next time he says, now, how many of you think I could do this with a man sitting in the wheelbarrow? And all the crowd is going, oh, yeah, you can do it. I mean, you just did it with bags of concrete and shovel and all that stuff. And of course, you can do it. You can do it. He says, okay, who wants to go for a ride? And nobody was talking. And what was really interesting the video I'm talking about, that video shows the picture of the crowd taken back then from the paper, and it zooms in on the face of one man. And that one man said, I believe you can do it, and he volunteered. And Charles Blondie put him in the wheelbarrow and just said, all you got to do is sit still. You know, like the sack of concrete didn't have to do nothing. It just sat there. All you got to do is sit still, and I'll get you to the other side. This guy doesn't have to balance. He doesn't have to do nothing. All you got to do is sit here like you're just a bag of concrete and I'm going to do all the work. I'll get you there. Do you trust me? And the guy goes, okay. And the guy sat down in the wheelbarrow and he got the ride of his life, man. That guy got wheeled across Niagara Falls in a wheelbarrow. Now, if something would have happened, can you imagine? He fully put his faith in that guy's ability. This is what James is describing. When, when someone says to me, describe what you mean, assurance of thing, hope for conviction of things not seen. The guy who was in that wheelbarrow was exhibiting true faith because he never seen a man get wheeled across in the wheelbarrow, but he has faith and assurance that it can be done. Why? Because he's seen the guy has demonstrated he has ability. That man is not trusting in his ability, all he can do is sit inside the barrel and hold still, do nothing. All he has to do is trust the guy who has the ability to get him across. And the guy did get to ride across Niagara Falls in the wheelbarrow. And Blondine got him all the way to the other side. And all the papers went crazy. They wrote all the stories about him. That was like his biggest feat ever. You know, when he put that guy in that wheelbarrow, that was like considered like the tightrope pinnacle. Nobody had ever done something as crazy a stunt as that. You know, you think about it, he could have died. There was a bobble and the wheelbarrow would have dumped. 
he'd be in the wheelbarrow, he wouldn't be able to like reach over and catch the rope. You know what I mean? You see in tightrope walkers, they start to fall and they sit down and they grab the rope and they swing around maybe. The guy in the wheelbarrow, he would be toast. He was putting his whole faith in that man's ability. Well, James says, you need to put your faith in God. Just like that guy said, okay, I trust you can do it. Never seen it done, but I believe you. Now, all those other people said that they believed he could do it, but nobody was willing to get inside the wheelbarrow. They didn't really have faith. See, if they had the faith that he could do it, oh, yeah, I know you can do it. Then get it in the wheelbarrow. If God said, I'm going to get you from this point to that point. I have something I want to do with your life. And you go, but I don't see how it could happen. But I have to trust you. You have all these guys in Hebrews 11. You can read about them tonight. The things that God accomplished through their lives, through faith. And, you know, there are lots of other testimonies of what God has done for many Christians. And that's the beauty of hearing a testimony of God's faithfulness is that he is the master who has the ability to get us through. He can get us across even the most dangerous, precarious circumstances. Crossing that Niagara Falls on that tightrope, that's danger. But we say, what if God was the one pushing the wheelbarrow? Would you get in the wheelbarrow? And that's interesting if you put it in that perspective. If it was God holding the handles, not that guy, Charles Blondine. It was God. And God said, I'll have my son Jesus take my place. Go ahead, Jesus. Grab the handles. Do you think Jesus could get you across? Now, some of you are saying, of course Jesus could get me across. But would you get in the wheelbarrow? That's the way it was explained to me from Pastor Billy Lander. And that's the best way I can explain it to you is that the double-minded man is the guy who says, oh, yeah, I believe that he could do it, but I ain't getting in the wheelbarrow. That means you don't really believe he can do it. Something's not correct in your faith. If you really believe that he can do it, you trust the Lord with your life, and he's telling you to do something. You think about Abraham leaving Ur of Chaldees, and the Lord says, go, I'll show you a place where I'm going to put you and your descendants. And he honored the Lord. He went over 400 miles away be kind of by modern day Babylon area where that is and he leaves and he comes all the way across and comes to where Israel is today when you look at this stuff today you go well those guys pleased God by faith because they were willing to trust God with their lives are we willing to trust him with our lives Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson you can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel, Kona. Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God.
Standing on the promises of God 